0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about corn tasseling. (laughs) And we we, a lot of times line up our topics way in advance. And we knew it'd be really early for our area. Well, this year, there's still a lot of corn sitting in the bag in the shed. Uh, But there are areas of the United States, anyway, that do have corn that has really progressed. And the reason why we want to talk about corn tasseling today and what you could do even at that point, fungicides, insecticides, nutrients, is just to start thinking about your overall plan. And this really isn't just about corn, it's about every crop. Because with every crop, we've got to take a look at what can we do in season to not only maximize yield, but maximize profitability. As always, we're happy to take your phone call if you'd like to call in today. Our number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. We are live in the Morton studio today, and Darren, as soon as we start thinking about corn, it's really not been fun uh, having to deal with all the moisture this year, but I do like the corn price. It's getting better and better each day. I think it's got a lot of potential yet. Um, I'm personally planning on 450 corn, so I, I'm I, I I I will use the words going to pour the coals to it. But let's put it this way: every year, I'm willing to pour the coals to it. I'll put money into my crop as long as I believe the money I'm going to invest is going to make me money in the end. And one of the big things and one of our topics with this corn tasseling thing, but let's just talk about it all season long, is nutrients. And because of the rain, I think we've lost more nitrogen, sulfur, and boron than we normally would, so we may have to make some in-season applications beyond what we were planning.
1: That's exactly where I wanted to start today because— I've just been thinking lately that, you know, for all the guys in uh, February and March that were complaining, oh, I didn't get any fall fertility work done and I wanted to get all this stuff done in many cases, they're pretty happy right now that, wow, I'm sure glad I didn't put out any nitrogen early because I probably would have lost some. And for any of us that have some crop in the ground or have some nitrogen in the ground, you know, eh, odds are pretty good I'm losing some of that this year. So uh, here's what happens. When are we going to be missing it? We're going to be missing it late season in most cases because we'll get out there with whatever we put down now. We've probably got more than we need for the short term, but then All of a sudden, we get to mid-season. Yeah, we may side-dress, but how much are you going to put on? And this is the big thing. I I talk to you guys all the time. Well, I need 150 pounds total. So I put 100 on early, and I'm going to come back with 50 later. Are you willing to deviate from that plan? Are you willing to make this year the year that you spend $5 and pull a pre-side-dress nitrate test, or pull 10 of them and spend fifty bucks? to find out how much I actually need to put on out there and and do some calculations use some of the uh, satellite services that are estimating where your nitrogen needs are compare that to the actual results you get from the samples it's not hard. You can pull ten samples in, you know, just a few minutes. It's it's no big deal. Or you say, well, I'm going to pick three different fields and pull uh, two or three samples at each one. Great, that's awesome. It's not going to take much time. And find all right. I've got some fields like this. I've got some fields like that. Then I've got some fields like the other. Get fields that are representative of a good chunk of your farm, and you get a pretty good idea of oh, I have 90% of my end left, or oh, I've used up. 80% of my N, I, I need to put on a little bit extra this time and find out what you need. Because if you don't deviate from your plan, I can almost guarantee you when you get to tasseling and beyond, you're going to say, man, you know, that corn just didn't turn out as well as I was thinking. And it's something that's preventable. We see it all the time. This is one of the things at the Ag PhD field day that I really like is we've got some really high yielding farmers uh, from from around the country that are there raising corn. And they've got different climates, different management styles, all these things. But let me tell you what, these guys that are super successful are watching that crop all the way through the season. And hey, tasseling time is here and we're getting fungicides out and that kind of thing. But they're also looking at nutrient needs because what we're seeing so often is ears that look great all of a sudden are tipping back a couple inches. That costs you a ton of money. The other thing is we're seeing... Uh, corn kernels that are severely dented. And you say, well, so what? That's just normal. No, it's actually not. It means you had some more room in that kernel to fill it with nutrients and you didn't. And I never looked at it that way until just the last few years when I saw ears of corn on farms that had no dent. And I'm like, well, you aren't even to dent yet. And I say, no, they say, no, we're way beyond that. We've just filled that kernel in with nutrients, with more starch and their test weights are much higher and their yields are much higher. It's amazing. If you think about, well, I'm getting 58 pound corn. What if you had 68 pound corn? Is that even possible? I would tell you, yeah, it is. And there's some guys that are getting in the mid sixties right now for, for test weight. Well, imagine if you had the exact same number of kernels, but instead of weighing 55 pounds or in 65 pounds, that's a lot more yield. And it's right there for you. You just have to keep an eye on it. And like Brian said, the market prices are there to reward you for more bushels. Talk to your agronomist. Talk to your fertility experts. See what it's going to take to to measure this. It doesn't cost much money. And then to actually deliver those nutrients to the crop.
0: All right. Here's one other big thing that happened. Just today, the USDA announced their new market facilitation program, and basically everybody was thinking, oh, it's going to be a couple bucks on soybeans. It's not going to be that from the way it sounds now. Basically, you've got to plant a crop in 2019, not take prevent plant or let it go idle or whatever, but you have to plant a crop and many different crops can qualify into this program and they're going to do it by county. So each county gets a certain amount of dollars and then it's distributed from there. So I don't know all the details or anything else. But all I know is just seeing that program immediately makes me start thinking, you know, some of the people that were looking at, hey, last week, prevent plant or yesterday, prevent plant look like a better option financially. Well, you got to rerun the numbers. I'm not saying that's still not a good way to go. If if that works out for you, uh, you know, that's just fine. But Darren and I were talking today, too, about cover crops and what cover crops do you want to raise if you're going to raise some cover crops instead of having a crop this year. Be careful about what you raise. Make sure it's something you can kill in the future, like clover, for example. I'm not putting clover on my farm. We've People have done that in the past. You're fighting it for 5 to 10 years sometimes. So just be careful about some of those decisions you make in the short term. They have a big long-term impact as well.
1: All right. Thanks for tuning into our show today. We'll be right back after this. Are you frustrated with white mold showing up year after year in your soybeans? If you have tried fungicide applications and are still losing yield to white mold, now is the time to ask your seed dealer about Heads Up Plant Protectant. Heads Up is the first EPA-registered seed treatment for the
2: prevention of white mold in soybeans and pulse crops. The first line of defense on your farm against white mold
1: now starts with the right seed treatment package. Locate a Heads Up dealer near you by visiting headsupst.com today. In order to be the best farmer you can be, you've got to have a grain marketing plan. But what do you do when you're too busy out in the fields trying to maximize yield? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are always busy learning more about how to make our farm more successful. That's why we use Grain PhD to learn more about grain marketing and to work with our Grain PhD risk expert to create a complete grain marketing strategy. Visit GrainPhD.com to learn more about a free consultation for your operation.
3: Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgroLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid can help you increase yields and crop quality. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target.
1: You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. We're talking about corn. We're looking at a lot of different things here, and, you know, what an interesting year 2019 is to look at it in a kind way. Uh, And there's certainly lots to look at if you are a plant pathologist. We're really happy to have Dr. Allison Robertson with us right now with Iowa State. Allison, thanks for joining us.
4: You're welcome. Thanks for having me.
1: All right, uh, I, got, I got so many questions for you today. Let's start with pythium, if you don't mind. Uh, I look at some of the corn and soybeans that went in the ground in the state of Iowa where you're at, and wow, we seem to be at high risk of pythium issues this year, aren't we?
4: Yes, I would definitely. Um, I, I'm I'm expecting to hear reports start to filter in, in the next couple of weeks as people start to get out and evaluate their stands. But yes, I mean, pythium, when, when that seed sits in the ground for a long time, it leaks all these um, nutrients, um, and Pythium basically thinks it's Thanksgiving and climbs in on top and and has a uh, has a feast. So um, a lot of times what you'll see when you dig up those seedlings will be rotted a rotted radical um, on on those roots. Um, sometimes those seedlings will die. Um, sometimes they may just be held back. Um, In the case of soybeans, that might not be too bad because the plants compensate very well, but in the case of corn, I worry a little bit that those seedlings turn into weeds, and we all know the great ears that weeds produce. So.
1: You know, yeah. pythium, pythium is one big one. And I'm thinking about stock rats as well. We've got right. such, a, such a tough uh, environment. I know a lot of the planting mm-hmm. conditions were not ideal and we were kind of forcing yeah. the issue on some of these fields. Uh, <laughs> so what, what could farmers be looking for now? Because a lot of times this doesn't necessarily show up as brown roots or anything like that on the plant early.
4: Yeah. So, you know, I mean... Stalk rots are kind of complicated because you're right. uh, These conditions could lead to infection by some of those stalk rot fungi, particularly the fusariums and stuff. The thing about the stalk rot fungi is they kind of hang out um, in the roots and in the the lower stalk tissues um, until later on in the season. And then when we have stressful conditions later on in the season where the corn plant is forced to use those sugars from the roots, and from the lower stalks to fill the grain because it's not able to fill the grain efficiently just by photosynthesizing. And when we lose those sugars in those lower stalk tissues, then those um, cells become more susceptible to colonization by those stalk rot fungi that are just hanging out there. So um, as the, they're just going to hang out there. If we have the stressful conditions and the corn can't photosynthesize and and be able to fill its grain efficiently, that's when those stalk rot fungi will get the upper hand because we'll lose that balance in the, of sugars in the lower stalk tissues. Does that make
1: sense? Absolutely. It sure does. And, and you know, this year there's, there's just, I think you're going to be very busy this summer. Uh, one, one disease I wanted to talk to you about, though, because I know you're doing some work on physoderma in corn. Yes. Uh, what do we need to know about that as growers and how big of an issue is that right now?
4: So um, the biggest thing to remember with physoderma is that infection happens in the world when the world is filled with water. And so that's usually between about V3 and V8. If we have some extreme precipitation events, um, you know, usually this occurs in June where we all have a, a week where we just get two or three inches of rain and it's just wet and those worlds are filled with water the whole time. That's when we get the infection from the physoderma. And then physoderma can result in two symptoms. Either we can get the leaf spot symptoms which are just tiny little spots all over the leaves, and the corn looks kind of pretty or ugly, depending on your perspective. Um, And then there's another symptom that we can get, and that's a node rot, which the corn plants look perfectly healthy, but when you get out there at R3, R5, I mean R3, R4, and you start scouting and just gently bumping those corn plants, they snap at one of those lower nodes, usually nodes six, seven, eight, um, and then you'll notice that that node is rotted. So the one thing about physoderma is it's definitely related to genetics. So some hybrids are going to be more susceptible to that node rot, some hybrids are going to be more susceptible to that that leaf um that leaf blight. But really that infection occurs you know in June, early on in the growing period when the worlds are filled with water
1: and here we are in a year where everyone wants to cut back on different things in the crop, and yes. uh, you definitely don't want to cut back on disease protection. Not uh, not when we get this kind of season. Hey, Allison, thank you so much. I Really appreciate having you on. I know, uh, like I say, I know this is going to be a super busy summer for you, but it's so valuable so. when you is
4: that terrible. <laughs>
1: it's it's so terrible bu-
4: for me to say. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: we had Darren Mueller on the other day, and he said kind of the same thing. He's like, "What do you mean it's a bad year? This is a great year for me, I yeah, guess." I love you. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Yeah, well, security too.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, Alison, keep us up to date. I, I know there's going to be some interesting stuff that happens this summer, and we really appreciate having you on.
4: Well, thank you for having me. I always enjoy being on. So, and good luck to the growers who are listening. So, I hope they have a good year.
1: <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, we got Dr. Bob Wright with us right now uh, at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln. Bob, thanks for being on.
5: Sure, you're welcome.
1: All right, uh, so yeah, it sounds like uh, you guys might have an interesting year too. Uh, when we think about insects, just we've got a lot of crop out there that, uh, I don't know, it's it's just going to be uh, a neat year when you look at, at all the things that have happened and your state is, wow, I, I can't believe the kind of early season you had, but it seems like crops have gotten in, for the most part, close to on time.
5: Well, they're a little late, but uh the fact it's been cold, you know, even the things that were planted earlier just now emerging in some areas, so it'll catch up to some extent.
1: So we're short on growing degree units, and I know that slows things down on insect emergence too. Are there some things we should be watching out for here in the near term?
5: Oh, not not particularly, I guess the main issue is that uh, we can't base... Our activities based on what normally happens based on the calendar because the timing might be different this year just because, you, as you said, the degree date accumulation has been different. Uh, of course, if it gets hot real soon, things might speed up.
1: Sure. Sure. That, that's right. It can always catch back up a little bit to some degree anyway. And, you know, one thing in the state of Nebraska, I've talked to a number of farmers that are raising conventional corn this year, and they were trying to save a little bit of money on seed cost. And we've been just talking, all right, uh, what do we need to be looking for here? Do we need to start scouting for corn borer again and, and all these issues like we used to?
5: Yeah, you know, we've had reports in a few cases. Well, we grow things like uh, popcorn and white corn and, and seed corn, and uh, those can, if the if the planting date uh, interacts with the moth flight appropriately, those can get infested to some extent. We still have very low populations compared to what we used to, but individual fields may have a noticeable infestation, so that's something people need to watch for. And I know we've talked about that at extension meetings the last couple years and some of the older agronomists thank us because some of the younger agronomists have never been exposed to that because we haven't been talking about corn borers much the last 15 years since bt corn came out
1: i've also gotten a couple questions bob about western bean cutworm or what do we need to know about that one is that one that that uh, we should be concerned about this year
5: well, it's it's been a problem uh, the last several years in particularly western Nebraska, and it's always a potential problem in Nebraska. Uh, it does better on the sandier soils, uh, the river valleys, and that's where we typically have higher populations. But it's something you definitely need to scout for because uh, if, you, if you're not scouting and treating when they need it, they can really cause some damage at the end of the season. And differently from the corn earworm, They're not cannibalistic, and if you have the right conditions, you can have four or five caterpillars in an ear, and they're bigger than uh, corn airworms, so they can do a lot of damage if they're abundant.
1: Yeah, definitely a lot of things to to be on alert for this year, especially if our crop is just a little bit behind. We don't want anything like an insect to to come in and and interfere. We talked mostly corn today. Uh, we'll have to talk soybeans uh, another time, Bob, when we get a few more of these soybeans in the ground and and starting to emerge. But really appreciate having you on today. Thank you very much. Okay, you're welcome. Talking about corn today, uh, also looking later season in corn, I know we were planning on talking about fungicides, insecticides, even nutrients and what we need to have a successful crop this year. We'll get right back to that discussion and also take your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned.
2: Efficiency is important to the bottom line, but your nitrogen program can be a challenge as rainfall can leach nitrogen needed for a profitable crop right out of the root zone. Applied with UAN fertilizer, Proximus from ActiGrow is proven to reduce nitrate leaching up to 69% and increase nitrogen use efficiency. To improve your yield, ask your ag retailer for Proximus with your next UAN purchase or visit StopLeaching.com. Pastures should have two things, grass and cattle. No weeds, no brush. That's why Chaparral Herbicide offers the broadest spectrum weed control available. It controls weeds other products can miss, like buckbrush and Canada thistle. And less weeds and brush in your pastures means more forage, so you spend less on feed. Chaparral also suppresses seed heads, lessening the effects of fescue toxicosis, all while providing season-long residual control. Visit NoWeedsNoBrush.com today and learn more about Chaparral. The mighty Prosoro, king of fungicides. Its fast action and long residual make it the keeper of grain quality and yield. The hammer of head and leaf diseases. The number one reducer of scab. When your goal is greater wheat quality and higher yield, use Prosoro fungicide and the crown of higher profit will be yours. Learn more at prosoro.us. Always read and follow label instructions. This year, you already made one smart choice by planting glufosinate tolerant seeds. Now make another Interline Herbicide from UPL. Interline controls tough, resistant weeds like pigweed, water hemp, mare's tail, and ragweed in glufosinate cropping systems. And with our new manufacturing facility, there'll be plenty of Interline to go around. So play it smart. Choose cost effective Interline Herbicide. To learn more, contact your UPL distributor or sales representative. Always read and follow label directions.
5: Increase your productivity with Hypro's Dual React Control System. The dual nozzle body design allows you to drive at the speed you want while maintaining the rate and droplet size you need. Hypro, helping you spray better.
3: Want to cut production costs without losing yield? The Soil Warrior can reduce trips across the field, optimize nutrient placement, and improve soil health. So you can lower production costs without losing yield. See what makes the Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Welcome
1: back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. Today, we're taking your calls and questions at eight four four. Ag PhD. You can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. Let's head to the phone lines here. We've got Dennis down in Nebraska joining us. Dennis, thanks for calling in.
7: Hello. Can you hear me?
1: We sure can. Good. What I'm calling about, uh, have
7: you guys ever looked or heard of this, those spoke wheels? There are three spoke on a, the death wheels on the side of the planter where your row unit sits, you know, to control your death up and down in your seat.
0: Yes. Yep, yep, sure have. Uh, yep. They
7: just do wonders in these wet soil conditions.
0: You know, that's. It, it's interesting that you're calling about that. We have this discussion every year with a number of different people because we'll run into guys that will uh, swear by whatever closing wheel they've got and then others will swear at it you know what i mean it just it varies so much depending on conditions even on our own farm we go from well these are not
7: the closing wheels these are the death wheels
0: oh yeah 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 Yeah, i got you yep yep but i mean it's it's the same kind of deal where we just get really um let's put it this way like on our farm we've got some super heavy ground and i got some really sandy ground and so in the sandy ground you know, even in a year like this year, I'm not having a whole lot of problems in the really heavy ground. Then we've got some issues. So no, I'm I'm totally with you. And yeah, I, I guess there continue to be innovations to hopefully help get us out in the fields a little bit quicker. But ultimately, we got to look at what's happening down at that seed depth. Even for us in our farm, just a couple three days ago, we could have gone across the field. We would have been fine, I think, even with depth and everything, but the problem is I was just worried about sidewall smearing. And, you know, I wasn't too worried about can I close that trench, but I've had all kinds of questions here lately about okay, I get the seat out there, but now I'm not closing the trench properly. And, so it's just been really tough, and the challenge as farmers here is we don't know for sure what to do because we don't know the next ten days going to be wet or the next ten days going to be dry. If they're going to be dry, we just wait. If they're going to be wet, then then we might want to mud it in and we, we come out ahead. So I don't know. I I mean it's it's just it's always a challenge every year. But no, I'm glad you called in on those.
7: Yeah, well, it just you know uh, we our CECs is running anywhere from twenty five to thirty. You know we got heavy soil. For sure.
0: Yep, in yep. that,
7: and uh, like in terrace channels and that, I know the planter that tenant had the year before. Uh, he was uh, two years ago. He put some of them on just where they run deep in the, in the in the channels and that, and over the yeah. top of terraces and that. Right. And this year you got a new planter, put them all on, and he hasn't had one bit of trouble with it. And that. Good. But I just thought it'd be a helpful hint because down around here we're getting more guys there. They're buying them, putting them on, and they're they're able to go. Yeah. And I I know it's not in good condition to be planting in this wet soil. <laughs> But if that's the
0: only way you're going to get a crop in, you got to be something. Yep, I know. I, I, I'm i totally with you. It It's just, it, it's it's really frustrating because, you know, every winter we have all these great plans and, oh, yeah, we're going to do this and crops can be great and everything else. And then, you know, to get this kind of weather right off the bat, it just, it's really frustrating. And the big thing we've been telling guys, too, is, you know, just to stay positive about things. And so, no, that's why, too, I'm glad you brought this up because a lot of times.
7: I know, we got all our corn up, it's in yeah. good stands and everything's growing good it just good. needs to warm up more and go from there yeah
0: and it will it will so well hey Dennis okay. thanks a lot okay. for calling in today appreciate it it's good, well, good you. tip you bet thanks get
1: John Leaf with us right now with AgriLiquid John now uh, with all this rain one of the big <laughs> things everybody's worried about is oh man I probably lost my nutrients how do I figure out what I need to put on so I can still be successful
6: oh great question uh, yeah there if there's uh, been a lot of like pre-plant uh, nitrogen, for example, that, uh, that really is at risk. So, uh, um, uh, for me, I, w- I would still recommend doing like a, a split application type of arrangement, getting uh, uh, at least some nitrogen on and, and your micronutrients and phosphorus on at planting as much as you can. And then uh, you can go in in mid-season uh, with some of the tools that you have out there, uh, like, uh, you know, climate or soil scan or, or in circuit or whatever and uh, you can help uh, that can really help you dial in how much additional nutrition you need to put on during the course of the season.
1: You know this year, I, I agree with you those pre-plant applications are certainly at risk. The other thing is is uh, some of these other leachables like sulfur and boron. I, I've talked to another f- uh, or a number of farmers that said, man, this was the year I wasn't going to run short in sulfur and I put it out with my nitrogen and <laughs> now I'm probably going to run out of sulfur. How leachable are some of those other nutrients like sulfur and boron and even uh, chloride in our soils compared to nitrogen?
6: Uh, they're probably not as uh, solu- soluble as nitrogen. Nit- nitrogen is kind of the uh, uh, the benchmark for soluble nutrients, but sulfur is right behind um, you know, that's why we put a lot of sulfur in with nitrogen so that they're both there at the same time. And, uh, and another thing that we use sulfur for, of course, is to, uh, uh, to complex with, uh, with excess magnesium or excess calcium. If, if our base saturations are, uh, are off and then that flushes out of the system that way. So, uh, so sulfur, yeah. Uh, if you're thinking you're going to be running short on nitrogen because of leaching, I would definitely, uh, um, make sure to have some sulfur in as well. Uh, boron, um, again, probably not as uh, soluble and, and leachable as uh, as sulfur and nitrogen, but still uh, certainly of concern. So, uh, definitely want to uh, to make sure to have that those nutrients in uh, at planting or when uh, you know when you side dress or uh, whenever it, uh, your your crops are going to be uh, needing that. Uh, Make sure to have that nitrogen and uh, those micronutrients where you need
1: them. Hey, John, uh, whenever we speak about nitrogen, we get some questions from guys raising small grains as well, and we've had a, had a couple of questions from wheat growers about, all right, so I, I put a bunch of N out early, and we've even gotten too much rain. Uh, about putting nitrogen on in season, is there a timing that you see a better gain in wheat, and and uh, is there a different method that you like? Do you like stream barring? Do you like broadcasting? What What do you recommend?
6: Well, uh, a lot of it depends on the growth stage of the of the crop as you get uh, you know if you're still in that uh, uh, vegetative stage, uh, if you do want to put some additional nitrogen on like a, uh, uh, a UAN or, or something like that, I would definitely go with the streamer bars. They, uh, they provide uh, pretty decent coverage and and you don't have quite the risk of uh, of leaf burn that you do with a broadcast application. Uh, some folks will uh, spin on some like uh, urea or other dry, uh, nitrogen uh, to to help bring things along there, and and it's a little bit less of a risk of uh, of leaf burn that way. Uh, if you're getting closer to heading, uh, there are some uh, foliar nitrogen products that are out there. Uh, Agroliquid does have N Response, and uh, we put that out a lot with uh, with fungicides and and the like when uh, we're getting close to heading in that flag leaf to uh, to flowering stage. That is a nice. Uh, nitrogen product uh, to to kind of help things uh, you know go over the top as as uh, they say so um, a little bit depends on the growth stage and a uh, little bit depends on uh, how much additional nitrogen you need to to finish the crop off.
1: Yeah. And speaking of finishing the crop off, we were intending to talk corn tasseling today. So I'd be uh, amiss if I didn't get to that. So at corn tasseling time, we're, we've got tassels out. We know we're probably going to run a little short of end this year the way things have gone. And what what are you recommending at that point? When we're kind of late stage, we hear a lot of guys putting a little bit of N on, putting a little bit of boron on, and different things late. Have you seen some success with that? And and uh, what would be the best way to go about it?
6: Yes, we have seen some success with that. Um, we do again. N response is uh, is one of those products that uh, provides a nice late season shot of nitrogen. Uh, it's all available uh, immediately, so. That crop can take it up right when it needs it because, uh, as you know, uh, corn is really needing uh, a good chunk of nitrogen right at that, uh, that grain fill time. And you can also put uh, um, boron or manganese. Manganese is another uh, real workhorse micronutrient that uh, can be really beneficial at that stage. Um, what we do like uh, to see with regard to boron is, is timing is pretty important. You want to get that on. Uh, at tasseling to, to early pollination. Uh, that's really where boron uh, provides its greatest benefit. That, that is a uh, great say. point. Yeah.
1: The pollination issue, uh, if you're short in boron, can be a big deal. Uh, hey, we've been talking with John Leaf with AgriLiquid. John, I know you're a busy guy. really appreciate all the information today. Thank you for joining us. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
2: If you're a rancher who's obsessed with keeping your pastures clear, turn to Grazon Next Herbicide. It offers superior broadleaf weed control, so instead of thinking about weeds, you can think about the money you'll save growing more grass and buying less feed. Used early in the season, Grazon Next also provides residual activity that controls newly emerged weed seedlings, giving you season-long control. Start enhancing your land while you protect it. Visit leavetheweedstous.com to to learn more about Grazon Next. Always read and follow label directions.
3: Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgriLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid can help you increase yields and crop quality. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target.
5: You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's miso Herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Ivinco Vilify and our newest mix, RIXA. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Ivinco Vilify and RIXA, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M-Herbicide.com. Think about a quarter inch of rain. That's all it
3: takes to activate Amazon Pro herbicide in your corn and protect against weeds. Now think about a full inch of rain, the amount most other herbicides require for activation. How long will you have to wait to get that? The weeds hope you'll choose another herbicide. Your corn hopes you choose Amazon Pro herbicide. Pick a winner. Talk to your BASF rep about Amazon Pro herbicide today. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions.
0: High-yield corn growers know that feeding the crop and soil are keys to maximizing yield potential. Nutex EDA and Reverb are specifically formulated to help manage limiting factors associated with today's farming conditions. Nutex EDA works within the plant to support nutrient mobility and utilization. Reverb focuses on the soil, providing beneficial trace elements which help condition the root zone for optimal microbial activity. Low use rates and superb tank mix compatibility make Nutex EDA and Reverb no-brainers in the high-yield grower toolbox.
5: With the success of the Case IH Diger Quad Track and Magnum Track Tractor, it's no secret why Case IH is the leader of the track. So it wasn't surprising when the competition started imitating us. Because Case IH offered the first five-axle design to give you more power to the ground with less berming and compaction, all to help you be more productive. Still, we're flattered. In fact, if we weren't already red, we'd be blushing. To learn more, visit CaseIH.com tracks.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio today, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. phd got Ron Heininger with us right now with North Carolina State University. Ron, how are you doing?
8: I'm doing great.
1: Well, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we thought it would be good to talk to you because... You've gone through some pretty tough stuff the last year with flooding and heavy, heavy rains, and now uh, a good chunk of the country is getting that. And everybody in the Corn Belt is wondering, what does this mean? How is this going to play out? So I thought we'd draw on your recent knowledge from last year uh, to see uh, what what we should be aware of.
8: Yeah. It, yeah, you guys are, are experiencing what we uh, have seen for the last two years, actually. A lot of cloudy weather, rainy uh, weather, uh, actually... Uh, The old thing here has become: if if it's a weekend, it's a rainy day here. So, indeed, uh, it is difficult. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of things that that, uh, take place. You got uh, waterlogged soils, the the roots that are having trouble taking up nutrients. You got increased potential for disease, and of course, the biggie in my opinion, is you get less uh, solar radiation, the the big thing you're trying to harvest there. So, indeed, there's uh, uh, several aspects that that rainy weather brings that uh, really doesn't help us very much. You might think rain makes... a makes a good crop but down here in the south we say uh, dry weather might hurt you but rain will kill you so it, it, it can be very detrimental.
0: So talking about that Ron my question for you is what have you seen out of the fungicides here the last couple of years when you have been a little bit cooler wetter cloudy have the fungicides paid better in the last couple of years than they normally do for you?
8: Yes, they have, and and a couple aspects to it. First of all, of course, is the disease control aspect. Um, we see in these rainy, cooler conditions, you see an imp- increased amount of disease pressure in your crop, and so there's that uh, ability to, to at least control, or, or particularly if you're Got it on before that disease arrives. Why you can can prevent some of these diseases from coming in. So there's the the disease control aspect, and then there's the the crop health aspect. There really is a, a lot of good data indicating that particularly these strobilurin fungicides uh, improve light use efficiency. And of course, on cloudy days, that's what you're trying to do is you're trying to get as much uh, light use efficiency as you can. Uh, so indeed, we've seen. Yields even on on average crops of uh, increase of 10 to anywhere 18 bushels. Uh, uh, of course, the better the the uh, the crop, the lower yield increase you see. So, indeed, there's been some advantages to being able to use a fungicide on corn in these kind of conditions.
0: Yeah, to switch gears from that, the other thing we were talking about a little bit earlier today was just nutrients, especially those leachable ones, nitrate, sulfate, boron. I assume later applications on those have also been paying here lately in these wet years?
8: They sure have, yes. We did some research on magnesium, which of course is a soluble nutrient. And uh, late application of magnesium last year increased yield by 30 bushels. So Indeed, depending on which one becomes the most uh, critical to you, why um, uh, later applications of these soluble nutrients, because they're moving down as, as these rains uh, come and it and, uh, dries up a little bit. It's a, it's sort of like flushing the system, and so it's moving these soluble nutrients down into the profile. And so it's a, an advantage to be able to rejuvenate. Because you look at that corn root system, how Most of your roots are in that top four inches there. That's where all your fibrous roots are. Yeah, you've got feeder roots reaching down toward water, but most of your nutrient uptake is occurring in that uh, four to eight inch zone there.
0: All right. The magnesium thing you brought up I think is pretty interesting because in a lot of our heavy clay soils in the Midwest, we have ample amounts of magnesium. But tell me a little bit about your situation there where you're getting this 30 bushel increase. How low were the magnesium levels in that soil before you started?
8: Well, they they weren't tremendously low. Of course, again, your point is well taken. We're talking about sandy loam soils here in comparison to clay loam in the Midwest there. So, so we're a little lighter textured soils, uh, so it's easier to, to move some of these sure. nutrients like magnesium. But uh, the, the levels weren't extremely low in these fields. We do a lot of dolomitic lime out here. Yep. So we have magnesium uh, uh, applied here. But it's just this rainy weather uh, moving that in this the soil. So your your soil test may actually be moderate or or l- at least adequate, and still see uh, some response to, to some of these nutrients, that in, such as in this case, our test soil test was not low. Um, it was basically <laughs> adequate. Uh, in, in
0: so that. so what form of magnesium did you use to get that kind of yield gain?
8: Well, we were using some mag sulfate, you know, basically Epsom salts, um, but mag uh, sulfate to get that kind of gain. Uh, somebody asked me well, what maybe the sulfur added uh, to it. Sure. I can't uh, totally take that out. We did have a separate sulfur treatment in that situation that didn't show that much uh, improvement, but uh, certainly it could be that we would get some effect from the sulfur. But I uh, just looking at the tissue numbers that we were getting back from that test, we could see a a, a Dramatic increase where we treated with that magnesium sulfate in the magnesium levels in the leaf tissue. Of course, there was a visual effect. You get that very dark green uh, uh, plant appearance when you got plenty of magnesium.
0: Okay, I know I'm asking you lots of questions about this, but I just find that interesting because that's one of the biggest yeah. yield gains I've ever heard of by somebody applying well, in-season it, it, magnesium. It, it, How did you right, do it
8: exactly? <laughs> well, we yeah, we did it. We did we basically we took magnesium sulfate and, and put it in solution and, and applied it uh, in a in a solution uh, over the crop there so uh, the crop uh, corn particularly is fairly good at absorbing some magnesium through the leaf tissue itself and of course uh, then we got some uptake through the roots. so so we did it as a as a uh, liquid Folier. solution over foliar over the top
0: yep yep um, so so how high a rate was that
8: well, that, that was a 10 pound to the acre. That's a fairly high rate. Um, you know, yep. most of the time you, you would be looking at two to five pounds maybe as a sure. foliar application. So, yes, indeed, that was a fairly uh, high rate. But, it, again, uh, I credit it a lot, that yield gain again, to the fact that we stimulated chlorophyll. We had sure. a darker grade, more light use efficiency, and a lot of advantages uh, in, the, in this rainy weather to that uh, uh, pace there.
0: All right. Interesting stuff. Again, we've been talking to Ron Heininger. He is with North Carolina State University. Ron, thanks a lot for the time today. Really appreciated having you on the show.
8: Sure thing. I appreciate being there.
0: Yeah,
1: that was interesting, Brian, because you know I think the magnesium thing is one thing, like you mentioned, we take for granted a little bit. We do. We, we're in pretty good shape on soil test levels anyway, but uh, maybe it's something we need to be looking at too, adding. I know a lot of the Growers that are raising really high yields are talking about their plant tissue tests of magnesium don't seem to be at the levels that they'd like them to be in, yep. and maybe maybe this is their answer. So that, was, that was pretty cool. And, you know, also for the guys in North Carolina that have been just terribly wet for a couple of years, um, man – you know, we got to learn from these lessons too because we're, we're getting a lot of the same weather.
0: Yeah, it's funny though because we, we talk about the exact opposite thing very often with magnesium. Some of these soils have 30% magnesium on the base saturation test and we want to get that number down to 12. <laughs> well, you're not going to do that instantaneously anyway. But uh, to his point of magnesium sulfate and that's leachable, yup, it can be. That's a salt and salts are leachable. So that's why we talk quite often about put extra sulfur on those fields and if you can get the sulfate to bind with the magnesium to form up some salts. If you have good drainage in your field, let's say you have tile, through natural rainfall, and especially in wet years like last year and this year, you're going to flush more of that magnesium out, start to lower those magnesium levels in soil if they're excessive. He's looking at the opposite thing, but I I did think it was interesting when he said, well, our soil test levels really weren't low, but let's keep in mind, sandy loam soil, and you get lots of rain, there are a lot of things that start moving, a lot of those leachables.
1: Yep. Yeah, it's great stuff. Hey, Brian, I want to hit a mailbag question real quick. Uh, Alfredo had said, if I hear corn often be, yellow corn often being referred to as feed corn, does that mean it's only good to
0: feed animals or is it used for other purposes? Well, it could be used for some other purposes. I mean, there's ethanol and a number of uh, other products made out of that, but are people directly eating number two, yellow corn? No. Uh, so the number one thing that we look at on the farm here when we're producing corn is it's either going to go for ethanol, and even when it does go for ethanol, the, the, the big thing with all the byproduct, everything that's left, all they do is take out the starch, everything else is left, that's going to livestock. So yeah, we're thinking all the time, hey, indirectly it's feeding people because it's feeding the livestock, but uh, yeah, that's usually what we're talking.
1: Stay tuned, we'll be right back with more Ag PhD Radio. Your independent spirit is more rewarding
9: than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more.
2: Ultra Blazer. Kind of sounds like the name of a superhero, doesn't it? Well, to soybean growers, it is. Because Ultra Blazer from UPL controls the toughest weeds, including pigweed, ragweed, and water hemp. And you can make it part of your resistance management program on all trait-based beans, even dicamba-tolerant. Plus, with Ultra Blazer, there are no plant-back concerns. Talk about superpowers. To learn more, contact your crop protection consultant or dealer. Always read and follow label directions.
10: Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the Steps GMS app, Temperature Humidity Switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at Market Moisture. When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at StepsGMS.com.
3: Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better. Built stronger. Lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com.
10: What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use Fierce Herbicide in your soybean field, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get rewarded with Roundup Ready Plus when you choose the proven power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions.
0: Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren, live in the Morton studio. Uh, today we've been talking about corn tasseling, fungicides, insecticides, nutrients, but, you know, a lot of the things we discussed apply to any crop. The, the big thing is that we're constantly focused on what's going to help my yield, but also help my profitability, do the right thing for the environment. Uh, lots of things to think through there. With insects, we just encourage you scout all the time. You gotta scout all the time. I don't care what crop it is. There are a lot of harmful insects out there that can show up anytime. And if they don't, great, we don't have to spray. But if they do, we gotta be ready to go because with some of these bugs, yield can be lost fairly quickly. Same kind of thing with diseases, only I'll just say this: the problem with diseases and scouting for disease just doesn't work. If you see disease, you're probably already too late. That's the trouble. So that's why it's nice having some of these uh, modeling programs out there, predictors. I get reports almost every day on things like head scab. When is When am I more likely to get that? I'm also paying a lot of attention to the weather. Just like a little bit ago, we were talking to Ron Heininger from North Carolina State. Okay, if we're going to have wetter years, fungicide's is going to pay more. I totally get that. So that's one of the things I'm looking at myself on our own farm. I'm also thinking about, hey, in a wetter year, guess what? Late season nutrients are going to pay a lot better too. I mean, on the leachable ones anyway. So when I think nitrate, sulfate, boron, to his point, magnesium. We rarely mention magnesium here because... We've got so many listeners in the Midwest and in Canada who have really heavy soils and really high magnesium levels, and occasionally we forget to talk to and talk about all the guys that have the sand. And boy, in sand, yes, shortage of magnesium can be an enormous thing. I thought that was super interesting when he's talking about 30-bushel yield gain from a magnesium application of 10 pounds of magnesium sulfate. Uh, that pays. i I'd take that. So... anyway there are a lot of things that you can do just keep talking to your agronomist and keep thinking about all right what's my weather what have i lost what am i more at risk for and kind of go from there all right well it's time now for the ag phd mailbag (laughs) All right, first one comes from David. Yesterday, I think it was yesterday, Darren, we were talking about using Pramatol Hivar, one of these ground sterilants, and we said, ah, just that, the, the wash-off and having it run into landscape and, and lawns. I don't like the look of that. And so anyway, David wrote in and said, um, hey, guys, have you considered using, and I don't know even how to pronounce this name, Esplanade, Esplanade, uh, E-Z. And what it is, it's diquant glyphosate, and an, an active ingredient that Bayer just launched less than 10 years ago is uh So indaziflam, indaziflam, trade names would be just the straight esplanade, not the easy, uh, or Marengo or Spectacle or Allion. So a lot of these things I'm not even familiar with and I really should be. Uh, It's a different chemical family. It's just we don't use that in corn, soybeans and wheat. But anyway, it's group 29 that uh, the, the, the indaziflam and it has activity on crabgrass. Uh, on foxtails, on barnyard grass, on annual bluegrass, but yet it can be used in, depending on which one of these formulations you get uh, for the straight indaziflam, it could be used in uh, even orchards or in turf grass. And with this EZ formulation that also has the glyphosate and diquat, diquat, by the way, and glyphosate aren't going to have any residual, but what is... Is this indazoflam? And David says here he's ha- actually had pretty good luck with this instead of using pramitol or hivar. Um, he has had less leaching, and he said, you know, maybe this is something that would work for that farmer too. Yeah, I, I guess I've never tried that, uh, but we'll we'll. I think you have to take a look at that, Darren. I, I really should have been aware of that uh, that active ingredient, Dazoflam, but. I I just really haven't been, so we better study up on that one a little bit more. Thanks for the email, David. Appreciate it.
1: Yep. I get one from Sultan. He says, how deep are you putting in drain tile on average, and is there a range uh, shallowest to deepest that you would recommend for most farm ground?
0: Yes. So in the state of South Dakota, because we have less rainfall, we usually put the tile in at three feet deep. The, the reason why is twofold. The number one reason is we don't want to get the water table down too far. So then when we have a drought year like 2012, when we didn't have rain for three months, that water table never got real far away. And it's through capillary action, some of the water will move up and our roots should be able to get down. Now, over in Minnesota, many people, because they have 5 to 10 inches more rain on average than South, South Dakota does, Uh, A lot of those guys over there, just across the border, they are going down to four feet deep because they say, well, we want our water tables lower. We never dry out. And so we want more water holding capacity when we actually get rain. All depends on your situation. In terms of minimum and maximum, you can go as deep as you want to go. For us, we've got a tile plow that'll only go in about six feet deep. So that's as deep as we're going. In terms of how shallow you're going to go, you pretty much have to make sure, well, you should make sure that you're not going to crush that tile. So usually we're talking, uh, two, maybe even two and a half feet for a minimum depth just to be on the safe side. Kind of depends on the size of the pipe. The smaller the pipe, the more shallow you could be, but yeah, we're, we're probably talking two, two and a half feet as a minimum.
1: All right. Thanks for the question. Really appreciate that. Got this one from Evan in Minnesota, and he said, "You know, a few years back, uh, we used to raise crops that we could raise right out of the bin. Uh, back in those days, we raised 170 bushel corn and 40 bushel soybeans." I'm just wondering, should we be trying things like this on a small basis and seeing if they could be expanded rather than broadcasting all the fertilizer and chemicals and and using the patent protected seed? What if we went back to banding and what if we went back to doing some cultivation and raising uh, conventional crops we could use out of the bin?
0: Okay. So there were several things there. Let me first say, Nobody in my lifetime has been pulling corn out of the bin and planting it. If you want to do that, we have tried a little bit of that before. I don't think you have patent issues. I got a feeling he was talking more about the soybeans. Soybeans, but I'm just saying you you could potentially do that. I don't think there are any patent issues, uh, but there might may still be, especially if it's got the Roundup trait in there. So you might have to be careful about that one. With soybeans, even conventional soybeans today, they're patented. So you can't save your own beans unless there is no more patent on that or the patent has expired. So that gets to be the problem with saving the bean seed. So wheat seed, you certainly could do. What we've all, okay, so let me take you back to the days when we used to say be able to save soybeans as a young agronomist, and I worked in seed cleaning and everything. Uh, if you really set aside those acres for, I'm going to raise the best quality seed I possibly can. I'm going to fertilize tremendously well. I'm going to spray fungicide twice. I'm going to make sure I spray insecticide at least a couple times if there are almost any bugs out there. I'm going to do everything to make sure that Field is fantastic and I'm going to harvest it right at 13% moisture, well, then it's pretty good. If you're just randomly going to pull soybeans out of the bin, you might be losing five, 10 bushels and that's no joke. So you, you want to have the best quality going into it, but if you did, you know, and it wasn't patented, you probably could go that way. Now, in terms of bringing back tillage, you're going to find a lot of people that are going to say, well, yeah, you can till but what are the downsides to that? You lose organic matter. You have a lot more soil erosion. you just and you have a lot more cost there too. So what did you really save? In terms of banding, there's so many cheap things out there now. I don't. I just don't see it because by the time you go out and cultivate, cut some roots off. I, I, there's. I, I'll just say this. I seriously doubt you're going to come out money ahead when you do that and try to band. I, I mean, think about what a lot of these herbicides cost. They're five, ten bucks an acre. You're going to cut that in half. Okay, so what'd you say? Five bucks an acre. And by the way, when you band, if there's any wind at all, now you're broadcasting at a banding rate. Now you have weed resistance much faster, and you just you have all kinds of issues. And to save five bucks, you're gonna spend more than that just in the moisture lost and the roots cut and the cost of your trip over the field and cultivation. So I'm not real big on going back to that, and I don't think you'd have many farmers that are. Uh, but yes, we do have to always be looking at, if I was just to pull some grain out of the bin and plant it, I know I'm going to have less yield, but would I have enough less yield, uh, that I would actually hurt my net income or not? And I can, I, I don't know for sure, but I'll bet you a lot of these big seed companies are looking at that exact same thing for how much can I really charge? What can I get by with? What are we out yielding the bin run seed by?
1: Well, I always look back at the good old days, Brian, and the good old days, there's a reason we switched and changed things. It's because of one of two things. Either it was much more convenient for us or we could easily make more money. And if you think, well, hey, we just switched for convenience, uh, then, then be ready to do all the extra work to make that happen. Thanks for all the calls and questions today. We really appreciate it, and we invite you to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.